This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Thank you for singing. We'll now be uh, learning from God's Word together. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll read from verse 10 to the end. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Paul's struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. After you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. Tachikas, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right. Sorry, I, I thought my mic was uh, muted. But um, it's great to see everybody here. So feel free to wave at each other um, as you see church being gathered over Zoom. Now let's begin this time by asking God to help us. And also if you have your Bible, it'd be great to keep it open as we will be reading along in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's pray together. Oh dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing letter that we have been able to journey through in the past few months. Father, we thank you for all the assurance we have because of Christ. Right now, as we open up your word, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will help us 
to draw attention to your word, to engage with your truth, and that your Holy Spirit will strengthen us, that we can understand and so respond. Father, we pray all this for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have we ever wondered why it is so difficult to live as a Christian? Have we ever wondered why it is so difficult to live as a Christian? Now, occasionally, my son would ask if daddy, or to ask me if I could play mobile games with him. And we'll play this simple co-op game with two heroes fighting monsters in the dungeons. Now, he has a hero that's fully upgraded and almost undefeatable, while mine was, well, let's put it this way, barely surviving all the time and always in need of a rescue. Now, many a times, that is how I feel about our Christian life, that it is difficult to live as a Christian, and it is a struggle at every turn. Now, for us to speak truth in love and silence in gossips, to constantly be kind in our workplaces as well as our home spaces, to forgive rather than to hate, to reconcile rather than to divide, to be angry but not sin, to choose praying over scrolling our phones. Have you ever wondered why it's so difficult to live as a Christian? Well, the Bible's answer today is that because the Christian life is a battlefield. Now, what we might consider to be human struggles, Paul says, is really a spiritual battle. In fact, verse 12 of this passage tells us that our struggles as Christians are not against what is visible against flesh and blood. Our struggles as Christian is spiritual against Satan and the powers of darkness in the heavenly realms. Now, the day we become Christian, the trials, the temptations, our decision each day becomes a confrontation of our Christian faith. This week, I was on a Zoom call with a dear brother in Nepal. Now, we were, we were really good friends back in theological college. And he was sharing about the spiritual battles that Christians in Nepal are facing on a daily basis. As they witness death after death after death instead of visible blessings. Now, the trials of coronavirus becomes a fight for their faith. It is more than just life or death, but whether God is good. Now, our conversation reminded me of a drawing that our brother, a young brother, Elijah, painted that I really like, and I asked his permission to show it this morning. Now, it's a picture of a surgical mask with these words. But if not, he, that is God, is still good. He adapted this in Daniel chapter 3, verse 18. And it's an amazing picture, isn't it? The trials Christian face becomes a confrontation of our Christian faith. Now, this faith statement tells the account of three God-fearing men in the Bible. They were called Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They were friends of Daniel. I wonder if you have heard their names. 
Well, these three men, as recorded in Daniel 3, they refused to worship King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. In the troubled days where God's people were living as aliens in a foreign land, these three men stood their grounds as God's people. And they would rather die in a blazing furnace than to deny the goodness of God. They said this in Daniel 3, that if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. But they carry on. But even if he does not, or even if he chooses not to, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The reason is because they serve only one God, and to them, he is the good God. Now, that account describes how the Christian life is really a spiritual battle. Now, on the other side of the coin, the comfort and temptations we face in life also confronts our Christian faith. In fact, I remember years ago, um, Marty Ford gave this talk uh, in a men's conference in Perth. And he said this, and I still remember after all these years, he said that temptations are for real Christian men. Because if we're not Christian men, many things are not really temptations. No, we have no trouble compromising to get ahead in life, to be reactive in the way we love people, to harbor bitterness, to give in to all kinds of cravings and desires, and just simply attribute them to our human nature. But not so for Christian men or women. And so we will find it difficult to live as a Christian. Now, just to be very sure and very clear, in God's great love and rich mercy, we have already learned in Ephesians that He has made us alive with Christ. We are no longer dead in sin. We already have every spiritual blessings. God has already raised us up with Christ. In fact, positionally, we are already seated with our victorious Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. The victory of Christians is already sealed in Christ's blood. We are saved and we are safe in Jesus. But why is the Christian life still so difficult? Why are we still engaging in spiritual battles in the heavenly or spiritual realms? Well, the answer is because Christ has not yet made this day or this moment the day, the day of final judgment of the world and evil, the day of salvation and consummation for Christians. Now, victory is already secured, but the fumes of the extinguished fire is still filling up the space, making our breathing as Christians laborious. That is why Paul, he concludes his letter today in this passage with three instructions for our daily battles. Now, the first is this, that we are to stand firm because we are in a spiritual battle. Verses 10 to 13, we are called to be dressed, to get dressed in God's armor. Verses 14 to 17, and we are called to pray on. 
in the Holy Spirit. Now, as we look at verse 10, this is how it says. Let me read verse 10 and 11 for us. If you have your Bible, please flip with me. Verse 10, it says, Finally, or henceforth, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, as Christians, we are never alone in battle because we have each other. And more than that, we have the Lord Jesus himself who is with us. And Paul's call here for the Christian is to remain strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and gave him authority over the heavenly realms. And while we wait for the Lord Jesus to return, we have this one goal in our Christian warfare, and it is to stand firm. See how this is repeated uh, throughout the passage. Look at it with me. Verse 11, it says, Take your stand against the devil's scheme. And if you put our fingers down to verse 13, it says that we are to put on the armor that you may be able to stand or we stand. And then after you have done everything, Paul says to stand. And then verse 14 begins one more time. Stand firm. Now here's the thing. Our strength is in the Lord Jesus, our enemy. They are Satan and his evil forces. Our battle is in this spiritual realm. And so our ultimate goal in this Christian warfare is to remain standing. Now, we are called to stand firm in verse 11 against the devil's schemes. And the devil has many schemes that he deploys. Now, in the past, we were unaware and we were held captives by his schemes. In the past, we reject God's truth in order to be our own gods. We see trials merely as obstacles to climb and overcome. We see temptations as opportunities to indulge ourselves and to be who we are. It's that old age-old plot that the devil has deployed on Adam and Eve to disobey God and to find pleasures in being our own gods. Now, our picture of the devil and his evil minions can sometimes be shaped by our cultures. In the West, in predominantly, the devil is perhaps just a t-shirt design or a movie genre. Here in the East, the evil spirits are feared and avoided whenever possible. But the right way to think and understand the devil and the evil forces is actually to hear what the Bible has to say. No, Richard Cookinitz says in a sermon that we should neither be obsessed with Satan nor naive about his existence. And that is so true because here's the thing, Satan is happy to work in both cultures. His schemes are so broad. In a culture that rejects Satan's existence, he'll be happy for the culture to also reject God's existence. And the Bible is mere philosophy and fiction. In a culture where where we fear the evil spirits, he'll be happy for the culture to think that the powers of light and darkness are equal and victory is never certain. 
Now, the goal of Satan is not predominantly to inflict pain on people, but to turn people away from God. Now, in trials, he wants us to doubt God's existence and God's goodness. In pleasure, he wants us to make the good things God thinks. Now, one of the most interesting books written about the devil's schemes must be C.S. Lewis' novel called The Screwtape Letters. Now, if you don't have this book and you've never read it, skip your takeaway coffee for once and buy this book. Now, this fictional book takes a little bit of getting used to because it teaches truth, Christian truths, but it is written from the perspective of a fictional demon who is giving advice to a junior demon how they could stumble humans in our everyday lives. Now, Lewis cleverly uses the Bible's warnings for Christians to unpack the devil's schemes. He puts it this way that the devil may disguise himself as an angel of light, Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. He doesn't always use trials to stumble humans because he is also very good with temptation because he knows what appeals to our spiritual nature. Ephesians 3, 1 to 3. He may even tempt us to become complacent as a church, like that of Sadis in Revelation 3, 3. He may tempt you and I to rationalize sin, to even rename our sin to be something good. He may tempt us to justify our actions. And when we do that, we do not repent from our transgressions. Now, here's a quote from um, Screwtape in this book. Screwtape is the senior demon. He was writing to the junior demon. And they have a target or the patient is called man. And they have an enemy. When you read this letter, the enemy, their enemy is God. And they have this one goal. This one goal is to turn man away from God. So let me read this quote that I'm going to put on screen. Um, this is what the senior demon screw tape writes to the junior demon. Let me read it to, to you. This is how he says it. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy that is God. It does not matter how small the, thing, the sins are provided. The cumulative effect is to age the man away from the light and out into nothing. The schemes of Satan and the evil forces are to stumble humans so that we will fall away from God into nothing. But Paul reminds the church that Christ has already defeated Satan and he cannot snatch us away. So let us be strong, says Paul, in the Lord, in his strength. Let us stand firm. So perhaps the next time we are tempted to skip praying because we are too busy, we may want to pause and say to ourselves that, hey, wait a minute, I'm really too busy not to pray to God for guidance. The next time we are tempted to get bitter towards another person, especially if he or she is a Christian, we should pause and say to ourselves, doesn't this smell like a scheme of the devil? To cause division. Isn't the devil always trying to squeeze his foot into the church through my unresolved anger? 
Because that turns out to be gossip, that turns out to be divisions. No, dear brothers and sisters, let us take heed of Paul's instructions. We are facing spiritual battles every moment, and we must stand firm against the devil's schemes, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the spiritual or heavenly realms. Now that he has given us the spiritual glasses to see our spiritual battlefield, the right question we want to ask then is this, how can we stand against the devil's scheme? Well, the answer is right there in verses 11 and 13 and unpacked from 14 to 17. We take our stand, says Paul, against the devil's scheme by getting dressed in God's armor. Verse 13 and 11 actually says this, to put on the full armor of God, because that will keep us standing. And if we go on reading from verses 14 to 17, we will quickly get the image of an armor-clad Christian. Verse 14 says, the belt of truth that buckles around our waist. Now, a guy joked that he needs a, a much longer belt than most people. Now, a lady in my Bible study says that the belt holds everything together. And then there is the breastplate of righteousness, the high-quality sandal called readiness of the gospel of peace, and of course, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But before we get lost in the details of these imageries, we should actually ask, what do all these armaments really mean? How do we keep everything together? I want to do an exercise with you right now. Imagine for a moment you are a children ministry teacher, just for this moment, and you're really excited to teach today's lesson because you have found tons and tons of pictures on Google for our children to color, the armor of God. And, and that's fantastic. But imagine as you are about to say goodbye to the lovely children over Zoom because you're getting a Zoom fatigue, suddenly the youngest member of your class stopped you, raised her hand, and asked this question. She said, um, teacher, so you have taught us about all this. How do we make sure that we put on the full suit of God's armor? What if we forget to put on the belt or carry the shoe? Are we going to die? Now that's going to burst your afternoon bubble, isn't it? Well, you could just say, well, go home and ask your parents. But perhaps we are the one who should ask the same question. How do we make sure that we put on the full armor of God? Well, it's here that I'd like to bring us to two overarching points. The first point is this, that we already have this armor if we are Christians. It has been dispersed throughout the earlier passages in Ephesians. The second point is this, that Paul, he actually didn't come out with this creative picture as an illustration. The armor of God actually comes from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And this is where I would like to bring us back 
to Isaiah to first learn about the armor of God. Turn with me to Isaiah 59 or look at the screen as I read it for us. I'm going to read just parts of it, but follow along with me. Isaiah 59, I'll start with verse 2. This is um, speaking to God's people. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And then verse 15, look at it. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. Verse 20, the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. Now, what is happening right here in Isaiah 59? Now, all the people have sinned against God, even those in Jacob, meaning the people of God. And there was no one who was righteous and just. And so God himself declared that he would come as the warrior king to bring salvation by his own righteousness. God himself will put on his own righteousness as his breastplate. He will put on the helmet of salvation to save his people. So now when Paul speaks about the armor of God, he is really drawing the picture of the divine warrior king in Isaiah 59. These are God's word about himself. But then, this picture of the divine warrior king in Isaiah 59 is eventually revealed to be Jesus, God's Christ, God's Messiah. We don't have to even look at New Testament because right 59, right here in Isaiah 59, it already gives us the hint that leads us into New Testament. Look at verse 20. This is what it says. The Redeemer will come to those who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. And when the Redeemer finally did reveal to us in New Testament, we know clearly in the gospel that it is the Lord Jesus Christ. So suddenly as we look back to Ephesians 6 verse 14 to 17, we are not looking at separate pieces of armament. The belt, the breastplate, the helmet, the footwear, the shield, the sword, they cannot be separated from each other. And we cannot look at the armor of God apart from Christ who is now seated in the heavenly realm. So what does it mean to put on the full armor of God? It means to be in Christ by believing in His Word. It is not about what you and I do. It is about what be, what we believe and who we believe. To put on the armor of God means to be in Christ. How to do that? By believing and holding on to the gospel of Christ. Now, this is how it works. I borrowed a recent drawing of Matthew that Mandy shared with me and the Bible study group. Um, this is how it works. As we believe and hold on to the gospel of Christ, we have the belt of truth 
This battle of truth keeps everything in place, the truth that Jesus has saved us from our sins. We have the breastplate of righteousness. This is not our works of righteousness because it will just be paper thin and useless. But we have Christ's righteousness placed on us. Yes, we, we imitate our Lord to be righteous, but we are saved by His righteousness. We are fitted with readiness on our feet, the gospel of peace. And that has reconciled us with God and with each other. And we are made heirs and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. And so we have feet that can walk towards each other and forgive because God has forgiven us. And we have the shield of faith, a shield that protects us from the lethal arrows of the devil. Now, having the shield of faith means that we continue to hold up the gospel of Christ. When Satan tempts us to doubt God, we hold up the gospel. When we struggle and fail in sins, we hold up the gospel that Jesus, his righteousness, his death for us can forgive us. We have, we had been forgiven. We are being forgiven and we will be forgiven all because of Jesus. And then we have the helmet of salvation and this truth is meant to be close to our minds. And of course, we have God's word as the sword. And this sword both defends us from lies and fight off any deceptions that the devil shoots at us every single day. By the sword of the spirit, the word of God, we have the wisdom and the revelation to preach to ourselves and to speak to each other in truth with love. Now, with this Readiness on our feet, the sword of the Spirit in our hands, we can proclaim salvation to anyone who would listen, who would repent, and so would be saved, just like us. Now, Jesus, He is that victorious divine warrior king. And so to put on God's armor is really to put on Christ by believing and holding on to his word. In fact, that is exactly what Paul already said right in the first chapter of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, flip with me to chapter 1, right at the beginning, in verse 13. This is what Paul already said to the Christians. Let me read to us verse 13. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So as you and I stood um, in the imagination, we returned to the children ministry Zoom session. After our initial shock, we can actually turn and smile at a little girl who asked the question and answer her. This is how we would have answered her. We will say, dear child, how do we make sure that we put on a full suit of God's armor? Well, we do so by believing in Jesus and holding on to all of his word. When you are afraid, dear child, hold on to Jesus and his word. When doubt creeps in your mind, hold on to Jesus and his word. When you sin against God and Feel the accusing arrows of the devil shooting right at you. Repent and hold on to Jesus and his word. Now when life 
gets too comfortable. Be careful. Hold on to Jesus tightly and his word. And when death comes near, hold on to Jesus and his word. Because that is to put on the armor of God. Now, finally, having mentioned the sword of the spirit, Paul now says, pray in the spirit. Having been sealed with the spirit of God, Christians, we can now speak to God all the time, for all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, and also for all of the Lord's people, including Paul himself. So here it is. If we know our goal is to stand firm against the devil's scheme, if we know we are to get dressed in God's armor to hold on to Jesus and his word, then here is the completion of Paul's instruction. And it is to pray in the spirit. Because prayer is the engine room. Because when it comes to spiritual warfare, the battle is really fought on bended knees. We find this right there in the gospel. In fact, the outcome of our Lord Jesus' spiritual battle for this universe, for you and for me, was decided in the Garden of Eden, where the gospel wrote that Jesus fell on his face and he prayed, not my will, but as you will. Dear brothers and sisters, how often have you and I struggled to stand against the devil's scheme because we have failed to kneel before God? Now, I have struggled because I have failed to kneel before God. And so have you. But here, the words of Paul, the prayer is the engine room where we are empowered by God's word. Paul had filled this letter to the Ephesians with power-generating prayers for the Ephesian Christians. In chapter 1, in chapter 3, Paul prays that they may know God better by his spirit and his word, that they may have spiritual eyes to know their hope, that they may remember that they are Christ's inheritance, that they may have power within them as Christ dwells in their heart, that they may have power to grasp the depth of the love of Christ. And dear brothers and sisters, these prayers are now available to you and me to pray as well. And we can pray all this to God for ourselves, for each other. Oh, that we will pray more. That we'll pray more so that our armor and our sword will glow when darkness and danger approaches, that we'll stick closer to Jesus and we will grip tighter to his word. And so we are to pray regularly for all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, and for all of God's people. In fact, this is how Paul would have ended this section, that he prays for the efficient Christians and now asks them to pray for him. Verses 19 to 20 that he says that pray that he will be given the words to say. In fact, he will be given the boldness to speak. If you look at what Paul is asking for prayer, he wasn't asking for personal comfort or even release from prison. That he's asking here to continue to stand firm himself in Christ and in the gospel which saved the Gentiles and imprisoned 
Him. Dear brothers and sisters, as we close this time, let us be real. Let's be real with our own Christian life. We should expect difficulties in our daily Christian life because we are still in a spiritual battle waiting for our victorious Lord to return. And indeed, we know He will return. He will return for His church and He will return to declare that the day has arrived. But meanwhile, let us stand firm, let us get dressed, and let us pray on in the Spirit. Now, it was a very somber yet amazing Zoom call. I had my dear friend in, in Nepal. We, we had a chance to talk and we shared news about how churches are doing in our respective countries. And we encourage each other in the Lord. Now, he didn't know that we were studying Ephesians, but he kept quoting to me Ephesians 2 that we are saved only by grace. And even this grace is God's gift to us weak need Christians. Now, as I listened to him share, I was really grieved because I hear about the thousands who have died that are so close to him. But I was amazed to also hear how pastors and Christian leaders, they were bravely going to hospitals to look for oxygen tank for COVID-stricken Christians stranded at home. And how they would carefully but bravely pick up the bodies of members who have died in the hospital from coronavirus to bury them or to cremate them. The gospel, as I was talking to him and he was talking to me, the gospel was real and was fresh again for us that day. That we were encouraged once more to stand firm in the Lord. And we prayed that God would have mercy on Nepal and for our whole world. And as we pray, as we close our time on Zoom and we pray together, my brother in Nepal, he, he prayed and asked God that God will help us in our weakness. And for me, as I hear and pray with him, the drawing of our brother Elijah came back to me and we prayed that God would show mercy on us from the Conora virus. But even if not we will stand firm and declare that God is good. Because God is good. Indeed, by God's power, He will reveal His manifold wisdom to the spiritual powers in the heavenly realms. God will reveal His manifold wisdom through Christians, through the church, because we are in Jesus Christ, our victorious divine, heavenly King. May God help us to stand. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for this letter. Thank you for Paul's writing to Gentile Christians, Christians like us, who were included because the mystery was revealed, because we are included in the inheritance of Christ. Father, we thank you for the ending of this letter calling us to stand firm as we wait for the Lord. And so please help us to stand firm. Help us to put on your armor. Help us to put on Christ. 
by believing in him and holding fully to his word. And Father, please teach us to pray more often. This is a gift you have given us. And please help us to pray that we will be empowered by your Holy Spirit in your word. That we will stand firm after we have done everything. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Pastor Andrew. We will now be spending some time talking about what we learned. Yeah. Okay, so uh, there's our discussion questions uh, are, and what are some ways the devil schemes against Christians and the church? How do we respond? And how can we help each other stand firm against the devil schemes? Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.